You're listening to another great show from the Nod Network. Find more great content at nerdod.com. This is Whiskey and Words. I'm David Olson, and I'm joined today by blogger and novelist Jamie Ryder. Hello, it's a pleasure to be on today. Uh, really looking forward to this. Me great too. Opportunity. Me too. Uh, today as well, we have a bottle of uh, the Ardmore, but a Highland Scotch. Uh, I'm a fan of it. It's the newest element of my collection, so it's going to be a bit of a surprise, but that's exciting too. So, welcome, Jamie. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having me on, mate. Hey, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. And I have, I've done a bit of reading around the topic, so to speak, uh, and I've seen that you are already out there. You've got uh, short stories published, and Indeed. you've got um, a blog out there as well. You've got a number of things. So, is that kind of... Where is your, your primary focus? What's your main thing? Uh, my primary focus is I'm basically a novel writer for first and foremost. I do like writing short stories as well because my writing plan at this moment is to write short stories to build up a s- small portfolio. Nice. So then when I do bring out a novel eventually, you can have these writing credits as well because hopefully publishers and agents will take you more seriously if you have these writing credits to your name already. That's yeah. my perspective. On yeah, it. definitely. I guess right. I think that you want to have your work put together in a place where you've got a, a body of it, don't you? Indeed. So you can kind of show it all off and different types and different styles. Yeah, definitely. And you're working on a novella at the minute, is that right? Yes, yeah. Shadows of Dawn. Shadows of Title. Yeah, very cool. I have had the pleasure of hearing the first couple of chapters so far, and it's exactly my kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly my kind of thing. So, but we will we will come to that definitely. Um, with this as well, the big question I have is sort of. With a, with the fact that you've been writing a novella, you've got short stories, you've got a blog, you've got some other things done here and there. Do you have a preferred one? Is there like a is there like is one where you sit down and think this is the kind of thing I like to do? Or? Yeah, it's always been the novel. Yeah, because this started when I first did my writing masters at Manchester Metro. Cool. I recently finished that a couple of months ago. I always said to myself I would want to write a book no matter what subject it was on. And I did that, and that has been a great accomplishment for me. Very nice. It took me two and a half years to write this fantasy novel called The Things We Carry. It's a YA fantasy about a girl who goes into war after her family had been murdered, and she has to either go with this cycle of violence that's perpetrated these two countries for thousands of years, or she can choose to break the cycle and be better than the rest of the history of this country. So that was very interesting to write, and I was very proud of it. Very cool. Is that, is that as part of your course, or was that yeah, after that was, the... that was the course that I had to do. I had to write a novel to pass the course. So oh, okay. hopefully I'll get the results at Christmas, and then we'll see if I can get that off to publishers. Nice. Well, best of luck with that. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Look forward to that. So then you are, you are already accomplished in that way. You've already you've broken the back that a lot of writers, that puts a lot of writers off, I guess, which is that idea of having something finished, yeah. achieving something. You've got the great head start of you've done that. Mm. You know everything else now is 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 bonus for the fact that you've already got a novel completed. Yeah, just for me, like my biggest writing thing is just finish something. It doesn't matter how good it is. That's the thing that I've had to get over over a number of years because when I was younger, I never finished anything. Like I had massive procrastination anxiety, but well, we're good since, at it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but since then I've just finished it no matter what. Is a, the way I look at it is you've got a blank canvas, you can throw colours at a blank canvas, it doesn't have to stick, but as long as something remains, that's all that matters. 
That's great. I think that, I mean, I said before that my biggest problem is always finishing things. Mm-hmm. It has always been, and that's why I prefer to write shorter fiction because mm-hmm. I can kind of sit down and I can finish that yeah. and I've, you know, I can achieve it. And I want to finish a novel and I want to do those kind of things, but I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. But no, it's, it's, it's nice that you've already, you've gone that kind of mentality where it's just, I want to get this done. Mm-hmm. And you can always go back and fix it. You can always go back and redo it. You can do whatever you want, exactly. can't you? No. No, it's very cool. Would you care for a drink? I would indeed. Let's try this whiskey. strong taste that yeah after taste nice smokier than I expected <laughs> considering how light it is mm. no it reminds me of a bacon sandwich actually you know you get that thing <laughs> in the back and throw they never put that on the box do they <laughs> notes of bacon sandwich Ooh. Mm. I'm a fan of that it's a nice evening dram isn't it for two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon Indeed. but never mind <laughs> no no that's really nice um, what I would like to do I mean you mentioned the, the novella that you're uh, you just completed is yes. that right fantastic ago. very well done with that and that's currently titled Shadows at Dawn. Dawn. Yes. Like I said before, it is something which is totally up my alley mm-hmm. because it is how, before we, before we get into the reading, how would you sum up the world that you've created? Best way to describe it is it's the Wild West meets a, a dystopian fantasy world. Sum it up with the yeah. most wonderfully complicated world Indeed, you could make, yeah. which is great. <laughs> no, I like this a lot. And I think that... Um, one thing I like, and before we get into it, where this will become more apparent to those listening, mm-hmm. what I like as well is that you you don't dwell heavily on the parts that are just kind of implied. Yeah. Like, and again, we'll, we'll get to this, so I apologize I'm getting ahead of things, but you know, you've got a world where it's just the Wild West. You've got men on horseback, you've got saloons, you've got the rest. You've got witches, which have powers. You've got, you've got these kind of things which you could spend, you know, 200 pages detailing what this Wild West mm-hmm. witch-based world is like. But you don't really need to, because I think, at least from the first chapter and the chapters that I've heard you read before, there's a kind of clarity of people already kind of know that. Yeah. People kind of know what to expect from a Wild West setting and those kind of things. And you don't just weigh people down with that straight away, which is fantastic. Now, at the risk of getting straight into it, do you think you want to share in the first section for us? Absolutely. Let's Perfect. Get it Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Okay, this is the first chapter called Sorrow. When the noose was placed around the witch's neck, she didn't laugh or cry for mercy. She stared with cold defiance at the crowd who'd gathered in the main square. The silver manacles clasped to her wrists stopped her from casting any spells, though Reuben remained vigilant even as he tightened the rope. He doubted she would have tried anything, but he could feel Pa's eyes on him, so he furrowed his brow and looked sufficiently dour. In truth, the case unsettled him, not enough to prevent him from doing his duty, for the witch had already sealed her fate by killing the owner of the local saloon and the sheriff. But he couldn't bring himself to meet the woman's gaze as her face kept turning into Maddie's. They had the same honey-blonde hair, and with the morning sunlight flashing around him, Reuben couldn't shake the comparison out of his head. He finished securing the rope and pulled down his hat so he didn't have to look at the witch anymore. The mayor of the town stepped up onto the creaky platform, hands pressed to the lapels of his crinkled suit jacket. He was a portly man, and his bristly handlebar moustache did little to hide the fleshy jowls dangling from his chin. The mayor launched into a speech about the wickedness of the female spirit that Reuben barely listened to. 
The heat and dust of the day made him feel uncomfortable and droplets of sweat ran down his neck. All he could think about was the possibility of Maddie swinging from a noose of their boy Charlie growing up without a mother. Reuben searched for Pa and found him glaring at the witch on the other side of the platform. The silver chain wrapped around his burly forearm glittered in sharp contrast to the dull black coat, trousers and dark shotgun chaps of his Questa uniform. The yellow rowan tree crest sewn onto the brass pocket added a splash of colour. Gunmetal grey hair streaked from beneath his hat, matching the harsh blue-grey of his eyes. He was the most dedicated man Reuben had ever known, and the guilt burnt like bile in his throat every time he tried to reconcile his lessons with what he felt in his heart. Thanks to the brave efforts of young McNabb, honest town folk can breathe a little easier, the mayor droned on. We must all be wary in these dark times for the wicked walk amongst us, but the wicked shall fall before the righteous. The sermon continued until the mayor turned expectantly to Reuben to pass the sentence. He moved to the centre of the platform and forced himself to stare at the witch. She still hadn't said anything. Her face contained the same frosty indifference that sucked the warmth out of the air. Reuben kicked out the stool she'd been standing on and her legs flailed. The full weight of her body hung from the rope, strangling her slowly. The witch made hideous gasping noises, but Reuben didn't see any more because he was already striding away from the platform. The crowd parted for him and he crossed the square, heading for the saloon called the Learned New. His chestnut mare was tied up to a post outside and he patted her flank. He opened up one of the saddlebags and rummaged around. Conscious that Pa hadn't left the platform, he took out a spherical green witch bottle etched with ancient runes and put it into a coat pocket. He also unwound his chain from another bag. Then Reuben dug through his coin pouch and found the rusty copper coin Maddie had enchanted so she'd always know where he was. It was a small, inconspicuous thing that he closed his hand around and squeezed, taking comfort in the act. He pocketed the coin and rejoined Pa on the platform, where they stood watch for the next 30 minutes as the witch choked. All of it was for show, of course, a spectacle to calm the fears of folks who'd had their wholesome small-town lives tainted by evil. The real work started as soon as night fell. The crowd died away bit by bit until no one remained in the square except Reuben and Pa. Together they loosened the rope and the witch dropped lifelessly onto the chipped wooden beams. Reuben tied his chain around her body to ensure she was bound, removed the manacles and attached them to his belt. Reuben hefted the witch over his shoulder and secured her to the back of his mare with extra ropes. They went to the mayor's office, collected their payment and rode out of town with the noon sun beating down against them. The frontier stretched out into an arid wilderness of dry bushes, rocky outcrops and flat open plains. Reuben rode beside Pa, hoping the sound of galloping hooves would be enough to deafen his troubled thoughts. Long silences were common, as Pa trusted him to do his job without needing to think about it, and Pa never said anything unless it was important. After a couple of hours, they stopped to rest the horses in a gulch, walled by conifers and ironwoods. A small creek flowed blue and clear, and Reuben crouched to refill his canteen. Pa was staring at the trussed-up witch, her body drooped and motionless. You took your time retrieving your chain, Pa said, his voice rough and commanding. Reuben put the top on his canteen and stood up. I wanted to make sure I was prepared. He took the witch bottle out of his pocket. Pa scrutinised the bottle and his craggy face lost its severity. Good lad, make sure you put it in good use while I'm gone. You're not coming with me? The High Quest has called a summit in Black Rock. Reuben nodded. A summit was something that couldn't be overlooked though he wondered why Pa had kept quiet about it. 
It'd have anything to do with the Cartwrights. It's always about the fucking Cartwrights past spat into the earth. I want information from that bitch before you finish her. See if she knows anything that could put us in the right direction. Join me in Blackrock when you're done. Pa climbed up onto his horse and tried to take hold of the reins. His hands quivered and he let go as if scorched by some unseen presence. He closed his eyes, opening and flexing his palms slowly. Pa! Reuben moved to get the special cell from his pack. I'm fine! Pa stopped in dead with a tone that brooked no argument. I'm fine. He grabbed the reins and snapped them with a resounding crack. Reuben watched him until he was little more than a dark speck against the endless prairies. Thank you very much. Voice kept going in Southern accent. Southern <laughs> accent, yeah. I know, I like that. I, like that. Yeah. I think that I really like that because I like the establishment of, as I mentioned before, is the idea. This is a Wild West world. They're yeah. riding horses. They're it. You don't have to. You know, you mentioned the questers. You mentioned uh, the summit at Black Rock. Mm-hmm. You mentioned those kind of things where immediately your mind's going, "Oh, well, what is yeah. that? Like, how, what? How do I, I want to know more about that?" But you're obviously going to wait, and you're going to fill more of that in as yeah. you go, as opposed to spending the first chapter detailing this world, yeah. which. Yeah. You don't need to do as long as someone has the patience to stick with it, which I think they will mm-hmm. from what you said so far. I think it's Griffin. Uh, a couple of questions about that particular section, if you don't mind. Um, and it, it, it goes on about the, the setting primarily. So you've got this incredible fusion of the Wild West and sort of magical occult legend. So which came first, the, the story or, or the setting that you wanted to put the story in? It was the setting primarily because I've always had a, an appreciation for westerns, but I've never actually sort of written anything like this until now. Um, I think it really started last year when I was watching a, a western called Bone Tomahawk. Okay. It was a uh, with Kurt Russell, and it was about it was basically like a horror mashup with a western, mm-hmm. and that's something that I thought, wow, this is great. I want to write something like this, and. I've always been sort of fascinated by witches as well, but I never sort of knew what kind of story I wanted to write with them. So I thought, hey, there's a Western here and I've got a witch story, so why not put them together and see what happens? And I think so far from what I've heard, I think it really works. I think yeah. it's, it's one of those those combinations that's not often considered as something that you will see. Yeah. You know, you don't... Uh, you know, I mentioned the only thing I could think of from... from I was cast my mind back and there's a, there's a role-playing game called Deadlands, mm-hmm. which features certain elements of that, but it's not the same thing. I mean, yours is far more from, from again, from what I've heard, it's far more The Witches of Salem. Yeah, which was an influence in this. I did a yeah. lot of research into the Salem Witch Trials and the Pendle Witches and the Inquisitions, basically, because the questers are based on Inquisitors and I wanted to just sort of take the human condition of these people who think they're doing righteous work but not all of them are some of them are good but other people are doing this for their own profits mm. and I think there's, there's a nice combination there of that sort of someone doing it for what you assume is the greater good mm-hmm. meanwhile they're taking payment at the mayor's office so they're kind of bounty hunters Yes, but yeah no, I think that's nice I think that you, you play quite nicely in there with a the line from the mayor about uh, the wicked falling to the righteous Yes, and I think that there's that Again, that really nice, you see it a lot in Western stories, everything else is always good versus evil. It's always very clear who the good guy is, who the bad guy Mm is. And one of my absolute favorite scenes in a film uh, is in the film Silverado, which is uh, one of, in my opinion, one of the best Westerns ever made. And there's a scene where you've got uh, a character who is meant to be the bad guy, who's always seemed quite a nice person throughout, and he's standing... He's, he's walking away from a, a church that's ablaze, this mm-hmm. roaring fire, and he's walking away from it, looking really pleased with himself. And it's this clearest moment of, 
that guy's the bad guy. Yeah. Like, you know it's that. Um, I, li- I like that there's a there's this implication of good versus evil, and you're not quite sure whether that's actually going to play out yeah, that way, but people think so. stories I like to write the most. Yeah. Because I like to make people sort of have their own assumptions about story. I don't want to just sort of spoon-feed it to them. Like, you can root for who you want to root for. Ruben might be the protagonist, but you don't necessarily have to sympathise with everything that he does. Yeah. And that's nice as well. I think there's a there's a, a, a discipline in writing where you can allow the audience to sort of make their own mind yeah. up. I think I, I spoke at, at length with uh, with Tom Rowe in an earlier episode about that idea of let the audience, let the reader make up their mind mm-hmm. about whether to believe something or whether to to appreciate something in the way that you might as the author. And I think that I think that so far you're doing that really mm-hmm. well from what I've seen anyway, which is great. Uh, one of the questions is sort of from the outset, the story kind of. It sets out its stalls, a tale steeped in sort of fantastical concepts uh, and settings. Yeah. You know, places like Black Rock, it sounds very, very uh, sort of distinct and, and quite a, a significant place. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that sort of this story in particular is kind of indicative of, of your style of writing, or is this totally different to what you've done before? No, I'm very comfortable writing this kind of story. I Honestly, I cannot write a story that's got nothing fantastical in it. Right. Yeah, like, I, I've tried writing just sort of real-life stories where nothing out of the ordinary happens, and I just can't do it. Right, okay. Yeah, all of my stories have had either some kind of monster or some sort of supernatural element to them. Yeah. So. Well, I think, that's, I think yeah. if, that's, if that's what you feel comfortable doing, it's the yeah. biggest thing about do what you're comfortable doing, isn't it? And if you can do that well... Yeah. Even better. Yeah, even better. No, that's cool. I did, I just, I thought, cause I thought, this seems quite a, a different story. Yeah. Like, could your other stories also pull it off mm-hmm. as well? But if, hey, if, if they do and it works for you, then that's awesome. So the, I know we we're talking about this story right now, but in the, in the novel that you've completed. Yeah. Pretty course. Was that one also a, a fantasy tale? Yeah, that was a young adult fantasy. So I, was, I created my own world from scratch and nice. had the whole history to them, the whole backgrounds. It features a young protagonist called Bale who sort of has her own sort of, damaged journey that she has to fix herself on so she's not the the average protagonist i'd say yeah so are you it leads into another question are you a are you a structured planner of stories have you got lists and charts and timelines and all those things i'd say i'm a mix really like i tend especially with fantasy i tend to do sort of like an organic thing first or write down what's in my head and if i sort of latch onto a certain character i'll say oh where did they come from then I'll go back and write their biography, perhaps. But charts and things, I've never sort of been interested in writing, like, detailed maps. I mean, hats off to the fantasy writers who can do that. Yeah. I'm just not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's it. I think that there's a, there's a skill in doing that as well as the yeah, itself, isn't there? But it's also, if it doesn't, if it doesn't uh, strengthen the way that you work, I suppose there's no point for it, is there? If mm. you can, I think that, I, mean, I, I always imagine that, for this story in particular, there's like a notebook somewhere with like all the details yeah, and all the really things. Like, oh, this has come just from one page and a few notes saying really? this this character does this, this character does this, and wow. yeah, that's their whole motivations. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm jealous of that because <laughs> I'm somewhere in between where I would love to plan it all and do it yeah. all, and I feel like I need to, but I'm not very good at that. Yeah. So I'm trying to find my way around with that. So I mean, that are you now having? A number of different things that you that you've written in different kind of ways, and primarily fantasy. And I was, are there other avenues that you've been down? Uh, poetry, shorter yeah, so, tales, those things. Um, well? I write a, an animal protection blog called Wings and Wild so that contains a lot of nature and animal poetry that are sort of mixed with human traits and try to personify because I find 
to me that's quite interesting like animals to me are one of the most important parts of the world and I like to personify them with human qualities okay that's cool I think that it's also it's, it's nice to see a a kind of uh, a wide breadth of of writing experience I think as well I think it's nice you know seeing from what you've written and seeing those kind of the the themes that you work with yeah. and the styles the idea that you're also writing poetry over here and that as well that's you know hats yeah, off to you for, uh, for managing all yeah, that together I've never wanted just to be pigeonholed as one thing I, I would like to try loads of different avenues just to broaden my own knowledge really yeah yeah I think that's it if you can if you can explore all those different themes and you can get something from each of them and you can produce something that people want to hear or uh, people should hear in some mm -hmm. cases in the sense of, of animal protection definitely it's something that people need to hear that message yeah that's and when they I can get up on my soapbox and be like yeah. yes animal rights <laughs> pay attention yeah you know, and, it's, and it's the thing so many people are used to someone just telling you something yeah. but if you can tell it in a way which is uh, engaging and kind of gets their buy in mm -hmm. like a story or a poem or, or any of that would then yeah then you're doing yeah. the right thing yeah I mean so Considering that you've done the course and you've 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 uh, been on this this path for a bit with with producing longer mm. form writings, is it something that you've worked on for a long time? That you've wanted to do for a long time, or was you yeah. going to do a qualification? I imagine you had to plan it to that degree. Yeah, but honestly, like I've only ever just wanted to be a writer. I could not think of doing anything else. Mm. I mean, I can't remember where it started, but I just remember I just writing poetry when I was a kid. Thought I'm quite good at this, so I started writing stories, and then it just I guess became a passion and a, an obsession after that, and I've never stopped. Oh, good. So. Don't stop. Yeah. Don't stop. Um, so is it also like, is there a, is there a, uh, a set way in which you work? I mean, are you someone who will have like, especially in the case of this story, mm. of Shadows of Dawn, is it sort of like, you've got chapters where, okay, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, and you fill in the gaps, or are you kind of a stream of consciousness, like, put it all no, down? Absolutely stream of consciousness, yeah, yeah just go straight through with it and then I, then I'll go back to it and see what does work what doesn't work and I'll just edit as I go along okay I think yeah, the one thing I found from from speaking to different writers in different disciplines is, is, is a, such a wide variety of ways that you can actually get from start to finish yeah. I think everyone assumes that anyone who doesn't write necessarily who looks at a writer and goes okay well you must do it this way and write mm. in this style and actually well, yeah. that's the thing there is no way to write you know I, nobody can teach you how to write I think I think you you can say there are different ways but you have to find your own path well one thing I've always thought and I mean, perhaps you can clarify from having done the, the qualifications yeah. that you have I've always been of the opinion that you can't necessarily you can teach someone the process of writing yeah. but you can't teach them what to write or mm. to be creative from your experience in that do you yeah. think that's a fair assessment or I know I think it is absolutely because for me on that course I found it useful to get other people's opinions on my own work but they sort of never motivated me personally to write because I've always written but for somebody who's never written before I think you can say right you, you just have to have the motivation to do it yeah. because writing can come from anywhere and there is no fixed path to it you just have to know in your head and your heart that if you've got to put something down then it's down to you really and how important do you think then that that feedback is in that process? I suppose if you are if you are doing a, a qualification at a mm -hmm. stage where there's uh, an educator at some level critiquing your work and giving feedback from there, and how much do you sort of do you spread it out amongst you know, friends and peers and various others? Yeah, so feedback is very important to me because 
these stories I published before would never have got published if I hadn't given them to somebody else because editing is the other half of the process for me. I, I could write a lot, but it might not be any good necessarily. I need somebody with an impartial opinion to tell me what works and what doesn't work. <laughs> so with my feedback process, I might hand it out to a couple of friends first and they might give me their opinions and then we'll see, okay, I can see how that might not work. but. If I think something's right, I will stick to it. I will never let somebody take my story and say, oh, this is this will become something else. I'm sort of very partial to what I can point out does work and what doesn't. Yeah. And so with the, obviously the writing and then the editing part, as you said, it's two sides of the same coin yeah. when it comes to writing. Are you, do you enjoy the editing process? Or are you someone who, who looks forward to that, to refine your work? Or, or do you <laughs> some, dread that? Some days, yes. Some days, no. Because it's like uh, when you've written for so long and it's like, oh, now you've got to go back and do the next part of it then, yeah. But in at the end of the day, it's like, it will become a better story if you edit it. And I realise that. Yeah. I suppose that is that not being precious about it, is yeah. it realizing that you're going to have to change things yeah. to make it better than it already is? So yeah. So speaking of of, of building on what you've got already, can we hear the second section? Can right. indeed. Thank you. <laughs> Reuben rode south, passing through gullies and racing over barley fields tinted gold. He came to rest beneath a hill called Witching Hollow, surrounded by a ring of pine trees. He set the witch down in the middle of the clearing and waited for the light to fade. The enchanted corn in his pocket felt as heavy as his heart, but it didn't stop him from taking it out and twirling it between his fingers. Pa's orders echoed in his head, pulling him north towards Blackrock, but the coin beckoned him further south to the Evernight Marsh where Maddie and Charlie were waiting for him. He had to believe they would see each other, that once he took care of this final thing for Pa, that he'd go to them and they'd leave this life behind. The scent of pine leaves brushed over Reuben, smelling just as Maddie did on the first day they met. It clung to her like a fog as she dragged him, half dead, out of the woods and away from the wolves. Old Agnes Cartwright had sicked on his trail. Reuben opened his eyes to darkness. The evening had crept in, painting the sky a deep purple. A faint wind rolled across the clearing, buffeting around the witch. The wind became stronger, whipping up a small vortex of dandelion seeds and scattering them into the breeze. It turned into the sound of shallow breathing, slow and hollow at first, getting louder by the second. Then a single sharp gasp reverberated around the clearing and the witch returned to life. She coughed and spluttered, as if she'd been pulled violently from the bottom of a lake. Reuben moved closer, confident his chain would stop her shedding her skin and fleeing. He thought about leading with the foul creature reveal thy wicked intention speech, but he was in a hurry, and he'd never been one for pomp and ceremony. We both know you ain't going nowhere, so you might as well answer my questions. The witch's breathing calmed. She lifted her head and snorted. Not you again. Can't you black coats just let me be? Or does it make you feel powerful to watch a helpless woman suffer? Cut the shit and tell me what you know about the Cartwright clan. The witch shuff shuffled her body, trying to stretch as much as the chain would allow. Hard as it is to believe, not all of us are in league with each other. The Cartwrights are no kin of mine. Her answer surprised him, mostly because she was being cooperative. Witches he'd interrogated in the past had tried all sorts of tricks in this direction. The witch must have sensed his hesitation because she was smiling condescendingly. She looked less like Maddie in the dark. Her hair wasn't as lustrous, her face too narrow. If that surprises you, then you're even dumber than I thought, the witch said. All you men are alike. You believe you have the right to take anything without consequence. 
Reuben heard a bitterness in her voice that ate away at what little patience he had left to spare. The anger flared up before he could stop it. A murderer is not going to preach to me about fucking consequence. You killed two innocent men and now you'll answer for your crimes. The witch laughed, but there was an empty quality to it. She forced herself to sit up, the links of the chain rattling around her. Innocent. No one is innocent. I practiced my craft in isolation for years, never harming a soul. I came into town to stock up on medicinal supplies and paid for a room in the saloon. The owner took a fancy to me and when I said I wasn't interested he came to my room in the middle of the night. That animal forced himself on me and I defended myself. When that self-righteous sheriff found me he drew his gun and I did what I had to do. She was loud enough that her words filled the clearing, smothering the rage inside of Reuben that was quickly being replaced by a profound sense of disquiet. The witch's glare was as hard and unforgiving as it had been in the square. It was challenging him, daring him to say something to justify himself. But Reuben was silent and the absence of noise stretched across the clearing until the witch spoke again. Go ahead, finish what you started this morning. Feel like an honourable man. Reuben grasped his witch bottle and muttered an incantation. The runes glowed, creating an eerie blue light that flashed in the miasma of colour. The witch's features contorted in pain, and the light became more intense, gleaming as brilliantly as a star. Reuben continued chanting until a white smog burst from the witch's mouth, her essence being forcibly pulled from her body. It was absorbed into the bottle and the light dulled, plunging the hillside into blackness. Reuben put the bottle into his pocket and removed his chain from the withered husk lying in the grass. He returned to his mare and raced away from the witching hollow, wanting to put as much distance between himself and a life that no longer made sense. Thank you for that. I like that. I like that because, again, I had to hold back from saying it before, but that idea of you've got this world which is very much steeped in the idea of good and evil, of righteousness and wickedness. Mm -hmm. But actually, you've got characters who you don't really kind of know if they are righteous or yeah. they are wicked, and you've got that balance. So that leads me to my next question. So in the, this is the, the second half of your first chapter mm -hmm. in the story. You seem to make the, the witch a more uh, ordinary character, like far less otherworldly. You know, yeah. she used her powers for self-defense. She wasn't going to use them at all. She didn't have to. She was in town. Um, and you mentioned the Cartwright clan as sort of a, a villain that I guess we're going to see more of later in the story. So when you think about other stories of evil witches, you know, villainous schemes, mm -hmm. all the rest of it, have you set out with this to create a, a more sympathetic bad guy? You know, or is the story more uh, exploring that grey area between good and evil? It's very much a grey area, because the best stories that I like reading are the ones where the characters are human, they have the motivations and they can do wicked and good things at the same time. So this story is very much about exploring both sides of the same coin, I suppose. There are evil witches in this, more, you know, traditional evil witches, but the witch in that chapter, for example, was an example of a more innocent witch. She was only doing what she had to survive, and Reuben is doing what he thinks is the right thing at the same time, because that's what he, his father has taught him to do within his role as a quester. But at the same time, he's very conflicted about it, and that goes back to him having a family with a witch called Maddie, so that sort of contributes to his motivation. Hmm. I think that, that comes across quite nicely because I, when I first heard this this chapter, all I could think was, well, is the witch, are they going to execute her for this? Yeah. Like, it doesn't sound like that's quite right, but I guess in this world, the being a witch in itself is enough of a crime, yeah. if it seems that way anyway, um, that they can, they can sort of judge it that way. And you have that sort of that, that Wild West 
sensibility where punishment was very swift yeah. and it was quite decisive. Um, but I also like very much, I like the, the, the twist of the hanger for show. You know, they hang her so that the townsfolk go, oh, okay, they kill the witch. Yes. But actually, that's not how you kill a witch. No. Uh, yeah, and I like that little misdirection almost, yeah, where the whole townsfolk are, are part of this kind of this kind of uh, charade, and they don't even realize it. Yeah. Which, yeah. For, for this story, I just wanted to invert a lot of tropes, I suppose, because, uh, <laughs> a bit of a spoiler, but a bit further ahead, like, the sort of god system that I've worked out for this is like, um, the gods of these people worship in this world are very much underground, where you'd expect, you know, God is in the sky, but the people in this world fear the sky because they think it's the witch's domain, so they will sort of, all their gods, all their religious systems is very much on the ground and in the darkness, okay. so the quest to sort of embody that darkness, They're, they work in the light, but to, to serve the dark in nice. very much different ways. It's a nice little spin as well, I think, because I think that, yeah, there's, there is this traditional standard that you've got light and dark, light is good, dark is bad. Yeah. There's never any question about that, you know, from any story across time. But if you can spin that around a little bit, and again, just it helps to sort of make the story your own mm -hmm. as well, because if no one's doing that thing and you're the one who does it, then suddenly your story stands out as, well, hang on. Hopefully. Good, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doing something different, which is exciting. I think that uh, I had another question, but I think we kind of already answered it regarding the planning of this yeah. and the preparation for this. But it hits me as, you know, you've got a lot in this. You know, you've got a religious system, you've got uh, this organization of, of, of witch hunters and the witches themselves mm -hmm. and the families. There's got to have been, like, some planning in this, right? It's got to be... You're saying that you don't do as much of that, but it's got to be a book yeah, somewhere with... Because <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no way yeah. I can sit down and think, like, well, okay, we have this wide world, all the rest yeah. of it. I'll just go for it. Either that or you are amazing at what you do. Which, I mean, you are. I mean, that's what yeah. it is. But... Yeah, that's the thing, like... A lot of my note-taking is very long-handed. I hmm. might just sort of scribble it down in a notebook somewhere, but it is sort of give and take, I suppose. When I sit down to write something, I have a very clear idea of what, what I go through, and this sort of whole process for the first draft has taken me six months to write. Okay. And it's been a lot, a lot back and forth, just trying to decide what, where to go with it, but overall I'm very proud of what, what I've come out with. No, you should be. I'm, I mean, as I said before, I really enjoy it, and it's, yeah. it's exactly the kind of story that I, as a reader, would want to read. So um, I look forward to hearing more yeah. of it, definitely. So you mentioned as well before that this is something that you've wanted to do a long time. You know, you want to be a writer, that's yeah. your goal. What kind of inspired that? What kind of made you think that that's what you wanted to do? Was there a particular story, or was there a story that you wanted to tell, or, or what, what triggered that off for you? Mm, good question. Let's see. I can't actually say where it came from, to be honest. I think it was a, a number of factors. It's the fact that I grew up reading a lot of stories and I just thought, wow, these people, they can just create this world and that, that must take a hell of a lot of talent to do. And I thought, why can't I try this? And then it's like, the more I did it, the more right, I thought, I can keep going with this. And it's like, I just, I just want to keep going and see where it goes because when I feel sort of very passionate about something, I'll just hang on to it no matter what. I think that's the thing with, with writing, it's the greatest expression of freedom, isn't it? Yeah, it's that very, you can very sit down so. and just make a thing. Yeah. And I always, I think I've, I've joked about it before, the idea that writing is just, I can just make something up and it's a thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be good, hasn't got to be clever, I can just, you know, you've made up a world which is the Wild West of Witches, you can just do that. Exactly. And suddenly there is this world, yeah. and it's an incredibly powerful thing, I think. 
because there's always that like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I get to make things up for a living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can never you can never dismiss the power of imagination, can you? I think it's something where you can have this. Just wickiest cork there is. Okay. You can have this kind of this ability to to tell a story. I mean, storytellers going back generations. You know, you've always had somebody whose job it was to make things up. And I think that if you have the freedom to choose that as your exactly. as your career, as your craft, as your kind of your your path, that's quite something. That is quite something. So, just to speak again again for a moment about the uh, the novel that you've yes. you've already out there. Can you name that again for me, real quick? The things we carry. The things we carry. So with that, I want to ask about um, something I'm obsessed with, which is word count, mm-hmm. because I write very short stories. Okay. And I'm intrigued to know, sort of across the time of, of producing a novel, mm-hmm. not only as a creative exercise, but also as something to, to get a qualification from, yeah. what, kind of, what kind of length is that story? It originally, well, for the course, it had to be a minimum of 60,000. Okay. My first draft was 80,000 right. that I got done about I think last year this time last year and I realised going back editing it there was this whole chunk of story that just didn't sort of mesh with the rest of it so I went back and hacked it down and the final word count was about 62,000 which is pretty much the standard length for a novel I suppose yeah that's good that's good and with uh, you mentioned that um uh, your story that you've read today that's going to be a novella what's your kind of I know you've recently finished it yeah so where did that come in yeah um well this novella stands at the moment with the first draft at about 9,000 words. Okay. So I don't, maybe on the next draft it might get a bit longer or maybe slightly shorter. It's just when the, the story feels right, then I'll know it's done. Yeah. Really. And that's it as well. You've, you've got that freedom because you've got a world which is very, uh, very in depth. You can mm. choose to explain that more or less depending on how you feel it benefits the story, can't you? Mm-hmm. No, that's really cool. That's really cool. I think that one of the questions I thought was, in writing these kind of fantasy worlds, and obviously if you've done sort of, uh, you mentioned sort of young adult fiction as, yeah. as well, do you think that there is sort of an ideal way of, of crossing these different genres? Because I know that obviously young adult fiction is now a, a massive thing, yeah, a huge market for that. Definitely. But as well with, with fantasy, with the occult, with you know Wild West, you've already got a couple different genres matching yeah. quite nicely mm-hmm. here. Do you think there is... Uh, there's sort of, uh, better or worse ways of, of crossing these boundaries, or do you think that they're in place for a really good reason? Um, I, I think there. Are, I, I think you can be as creative as you want, really. I say break the rules if you want to break the rules. I think a lot of people think that there are set ways of doing it. There are set rules that you have to follow when you're writing. And I know, I mean, if you've done a, a, a qualification, I'm sure that they put across certain ways you're oh, yeah, to do things. And I suppose that's if people have the freedom to kind of write however they want to write, to write whichever way, that's when you get such wide variety of different genres and different topics. You know, if someone said that there was only one way of writing, you know, we wouldn't have had poetry, exactly. we wouldn't have had those kind of things, we'd just have set prose and that's yeah, it. Yeah, that, that would be my best advice to any writer, established or not established, you know, write what you want to write and people will pick up on it. Because I learned that lesson from my favourite author, a guy called Sebastian de Castell who's written this very great series called the Great Coat series it's sort of like a mashup of the Three Musketeers meets Game of Thrones and sounds good yeah and he just reading what he's, he's written is amazing for the fact that that's what he always wanted to do and nobody told him how to write it he just did it and it's, it's become a very successful series in about two years so 
that would be my advice. I will play to him. I think that's it. I think there's a lot of people have a lot of uh, perhaps a lot of fear getting into it that they're going to write something and people are afraid of the feedback. They're afraid of negative response. They're afraid of being different to what is already out there. But if everyone set out to try and be Stephen King, you know, no one would get anywhere because yeah. you are your well, own author. A lot of people ask sometimes, oh, you're going to be like the next J.K. Rowling, you're going to be the next Stephen King. They're like, no, I'm going to be the next me because that's all I can be. Yeah. And that's it. You can take your inspiration from anywhere. You know, like when I, one of my favorite books uh, of all times, it's a bit contentious, is The Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. I, I love that story because in that story, it doesn't really do a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, your main character, he doesn't really achieve anything. And I quite like that as a story because it takes a bit of, it takes some guts as a, as a writer to sit down and write a story where... Actually, not a lot happens. Yeah. But the small things that do are, are significant to mm. that character or whatever. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, Waiting for Godot, the play, because mm. there's two people just sit under a tree and they just have an extended conversation. Nothing much happens, but you get into the whole existential crisis thing and it becomes very clever then. Mm. It's just all about personal preference. Yeah. And that's it, you know, the way you write uh, a story about the Wild West and witches, and that's the kind of thing that I would love to read. Mm-hmm. And there are others that'd be like, I wouldn't know how to write that. Exactly. I wouldn't know what to, you know, where to start with that. And that's that's good. You know, you want people to write very yeah. different things, don't you? So, no, it's very cool. I think that it's it's definitely a story that I'm looking forward to hearing more of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely something that would inspire me to think, well, hang on, that's quite a cool mixture of, uh, of genre. Am I playing it too safe with my own writing yeah. because I've set to it's one thing, you know? Um, and it's that, like you said, about, about breaking rules. It is something where people assume there are rules in place for these things. Mm. But it's only because someone somewhere has said there might be. But actually, you know, it's a whole different thing, isn't it? When it's a creative process, whether it's writing, whether it's music, whether it's anything else, you you know, there'd be no jazz if people said there's one type of music. Exactly. You know, it's that kind of stuff. It's You can do whatever you want as yeah, long as you're just, just be brave and just take what you can get from it. Just learn every experience as a new one and then take what you can from it and then just move forward. Yep, Definitely. So with this story, uh, obviously there's, there's quite a, we've mentioned before, it's quite a rich background mm. what's going on here. Is there, are there plans for, for more in this story? Is there, are there going to be follow-up stories? Is it going to set off a, a chain or? It is, yes. Yeah. So this is a prequel story, this novella. Okay. And in the future, I would like to write a novel based in this world, which will focus on Ruben's father and the aftermath of what happens in this story. So for me, this is a good kind of <laughs> my own good research thing because writing all this down will make me know what happens in the past so I can refer back to this if I need to write the novel. Writing your own history. Yes, oh, there you go. It's a bit of a clever trick that I like to do. <laughs> no, that's good. I think that, yeah. like I said, it's, I think that you've, you've put a lot of thought into this. That much is clear. Yeah. You know, and you've got a background that's rich enough that perhaps one story, however good that story is, might not do it justice. Yeah. You know, if you, if you create this whole world and then they go, oh, I'm done, I'm working on something else, it's like, no, we need more of mm-hmm. that, more of that. That's good to hear because I think that's my always. Whenever you read it, it's whenever you read a great book, and then it's over, and you're like, "But you've yeah, sure. established so much." Sense. Yeah, yeah. we got him, or <laughs> you know, or you get book series that go on forever and ever yeah. and ever, and you're like, "Okay, fair enough, I get that." I, I was told a story once about a um, uh, a online series called Worm, which I've never uh, read myself, mm. but apparently this person just has written this story, and it's over a million and a half words. In total, wow. which is just obscene. Yeah. I can't even, I can't fathom that many words. 
Um, and he's been writing it for years and just been putting it freely online. Right. You know, and it's got this huge community around it now. But I just can't. I, a million and a half words. Yeah, it's, I, I couldn't fathom that either. Fair play to that guy. That is nuts. But yeah, but I want to say thank you very much, Jamie, for well, being on the show my today. My pleasure. It's uh, a wonderful opportunity. I'm and you to take party. Well, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy you are. And it's it's your writing is in a number of different places people can get a hold of. You might let us know. Yes. So I have three published short stories at the moment, all online. One of them is Fireborn Publishing to thine own self. Another one you can find in an anthology called New Realm Magazine. That's called The Wind Rider. And another one is is called Bluebirds. That can be found at shortstorysunday.com. Fantastic. And then we've got, the, we have to look out for uh, Shadows at Dawn, which yes. is the story right there, which is fantastic. Hopefully that'll be coming soon. We'll be able to read some of that, read some more of that. Uh, and you've also got your novel, which I'm... Fingers crossed. Fingers yes. crossed for the best results. Uh, and then, of course, we'll see that on shelves hopefully after yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Good start. So, again, thank you again, Jamie, for being here. Uh, thank you to the Ardmore for producing a fine whiskey oh. to go along with it. Uh, and I hope you'll join us all again next time. <laughs>